King of kings and Lord of lords. God, there is no other community or religious sect followers of any organization that can declare that, we can because we love you and you are worthy of our praise. So God, I pray this morning that as we talk about this issue of life, that we would come to a place where we understand our responsibility, our worldview that we must adopt as followers of you. So make it clear to us, but God, make it clear to us without condemnation in freedom to walk as those who have been forgiven, who have been broken and healed, who have been redeemed, many of us from the darkness of our own depravity, and you have come and you have swooped us up into a new life. So as we talk about this topic this morning, we do it out of a grateful spirit, a spirit that says thank you, Thank you for the life that you gave for us that was so precious to you, Jesus Christ. And so just be with us now, and I pray this in your name. Amen. So life is such an important topic, and believe it or not, it was all the way back in 1984 that President Ronald Reagan declared the first Sanctity of Human Life Day on January 22nd. And that correlated with the decision, Roe versus Wade, to allow abortion on demand to be legal in all 50 states on January 22, 1973. And so since that time, many churches in North America have binded together on the third Sunday of January in order to celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so this morning we're going to put aside the Joseph series for one week And we're going to talk about God's beautiful gift of life. It's an immeasurable gift. It is a gift that our culture has struggled even to define, let alone defend. But we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so as his representatives, as the ones that have been called to carry on his ministry, healing, Empowering, releasing, delivering. This is Jesus' ministry. And we are called to continue. And so this morning I want to help you develop and strengthen your worldview regarding life of all stages. To talk about the responsibilities that lie within that worldview. And then to give you just a few practical steps of how you can move forward, but it's my overriding passion and feeling that we must lend a voice to the oppressed, and we must speak for those that have no voice. And so where we're going to start this morning, we're going to start in the book of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, and you can take that Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you, and you can turn there to page 859. You can also hop on your Ridgewood app, which is a great way to just follow the sermon along. The sermon notes are there. You can type them in, and you can also take that home with you then and all the resources that are in it. So just type on media and then just tap the 
prompts as you go. So this passage we're going to start with this morning is early in Jesus' ministry. He's just beginning. And as he often did, he went to the synagogue to teach and read. And here he's going to read Isaiah. Isaiah 66 and Isaiah 58. And Jesus will tell us in this passage that he has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he has come as Messiah of Israel in order to alleviate man of oppression, of all the maladies that are common to us, because he is the king. And so as we follow his example, we begin here, and we understand more of who he is. So let's begin in chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. Liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty for those that are oppressed. The the prophetic readings from Isaiah clearly showed the coming of Messiah, and he is now claiming to be that Messiah. And if we believe that he is Messiah, if we believe that we have been called to be his disciples, then we carry on his work. We become his representatives in our culture. And so in order to do that, we must begin to understand our responsibility and our world view. There's a powerful passage in Proverbs 3 or 31, 8 and 9. Listen to this. Speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all that are destitute. Speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. Lend them a voice. That is our responsibility. But in order to do that, we have to begin with the right worldview. And here's the rub. In our culture, we are driven by feelings. We are driven by politics. But this morning is not a political talk. This morning is a biblical talk. And believe it or not, there is a difference. (laughs) And so... We begin with a very simple premise as we begin to develop our worldview, and that is this, that our worldview says we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Why is that important? Because image-bearing means that every single person, regardless of their station of life, regardless of where they live, regardless of how successful they are, matters equally to God. Because every person is endowed with His image. And true, that sin has marred the fall, or or fall has marred the image-bearing, but each of us still carries that image. And it simply means that we are representatives of God. It's like a copy. We are an image, but not the real thing. We don't have a divine spark in us. 
But we do share attributes with God. We have emotions. We can reason. We have immaterial spirits. We have an intellect. All of these things that God has indwelled us with are like Him. And we are the pinnacle of His creation. And so we have to understand this. If we don't get this, then we have no biblical worldview. And so in order to articulate this worldview and help us understand more about what it means, I'm going to go through a category of peoples this morning of whom I believe that we need to lend a voice. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list that I think is important. And we begin, obviously, with the unborn. We must speak for the unborn. Now, let me just say something to you real quickly here. I... I know that this is a very, very sensitive topic for many. I know that there are many that I'll be talking to this morning that have had abortions, been involved with abortions. And so I'm not at all here to judge you. I'm not at all here to condemn you because the beauty of life is that Jesus Christ came into the world and gave his life so that when we ask forgiveness, we can be free. We don't have to carry the shame of that anymore. And so please know that I am not up here to shame you or condemn you. I'm simply here articulating a worldview. But the unborn has to rise to the surface because there is no more vulnerable person on the face of the planet than a child nestled in the womb of his or her mother. This is a place created by God to be absolutely safe, to be nurturing. And this is why abortion is so horrific. But again, our worldview comes in between this dialogue, this debate. On one side, life begins at conception. On another side, we aren't sure when life begins. We can decide when life begins. Therefore, we can decide whether... We will speak for the unborn. But the Bible clearly teaches that life begins at conception. Let's take a look at some scripture. You know this one very well, I'm sure. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Knitted together. What beautiful words. In the womb. The child is alive in the womb. Other scripture affirms this as well. Jeremiah 1.5. God is talking about the commissioning of the prophet. And he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. You you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations before you were born. Child is alive in the womb. Remember in Luke 1, when Elizabeth was talking about her pregnancy with John the Baptist, she was thrilled that her child was leaping in the womb. Because a child is alive in the womb. Scripture also talks about in Exodus 21 that capital punishment is in order for anyone that would violate that and, 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 and destroy a child that is in the womb. 
And so we, as Christians then, must say to ourselves, if we believe what the Bible is telling us, then we must approach this from this perspective. That we are made in the image of God, that every child matters to God, that life begins at conception, and we, as followers of Christ, must protect these children. And so we must have a voice. We can't just sit back and hope it will go away. One of the more troubling, awful, and heartbreaking parts of this whole abortion debate revolves around Down syndrome. Down syndrome and what steps are being taken to deal with it are driving more and more people toward abortion. John Kasich, the governor of Ohio, just signed a bill in Ohio. That shouldn't be big news, but it is in our culture. That it is illegal to terminate a pregnancy because of a diagnosis of Down syndrome. However, around the world and here in the United States, we see that mostly Down syndrome babies are being, frankly, eradicated. There was a stunning CBS report this year that chronicled the fact that in Iceland, nearly 100% of all babies diagnosed with Down syndrome have been aborted. And the story went on to trumpet what a marvelous medical breakthrough this has been to eradicate Down syndrome, somehow arrogantly assuming that God had not created these children just the way he wanted them, just because they aren't, quote-unquote, normal people. In 2014, the Danish government reported 98% of unborn babies that tested positive for Down syndrome were aborted. In the same story, it was 77% in France. And before we start feeling too good about ourselves, 67% in the United States. Nearly 7 out of every 10 babies from 95 to 2011 were aborted because of a Down syndrome diagnosis. And so I ask you, who will speak for these children? Who will speak for the unborn? If we aren't willing to, who is going to? Did not Jesus speak for the oppressed? Did he not find people that were outcasts of society? We're not his disciples, outcasts. You know, you, you're forming a core launch team in church. You're going to go plant a church, and you're going like, let's go get our, our best leaders. So you make a list, and you go like, yeah, that person would be great for children's ministries. Yeah, that person's great in music. Yeah, that person's really wise and could help do that and this. I'm not sure Jesus followed that prescription. He went and found a tax collector. They're in business to cheat people. He went and found a zealot who were trying to overthrow the Roman government. Outcasts. Fishermen. And so we follow his example and we speak for life. One person that has been really good about speaking for the unborn, especially in this area of Down syndrome, has been Patricia Heaton. You know her she played the, the wife of Ray 
Ramon in the longtime series, Everyone, Everyone Loves Raymond. She's on a show now called The Middle on ABC. She's a born-again believer, and she set a powerful voice for the pro-life movement. Here's a tweet that she sent out. And listen, if you're not a Twitter person, then just ignore the Twitter language, okay? And we'll just try to read it through. And I know you're going to go like, that doesn't look like Facebook. That's because it's Twitter. So here's what she said. Why is it okay to target people with Down syndrome for destruction? Why is it okay to put a dollar value on their lives? And who will be next? Autistic? Deaf? Blind? These people need a voice. Jesus came to give that voice. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Sight to the blind and liberty to the oppressed. And so, firstly, we need to protect the unborn and have a voice. But that idea of Down syndrome leads us into our next category of people that are so desperately important to God. And we need to have a voice for those with disabilities. We need to step up for this community of people as followers of Jesus Christ. One of five Americans lives with a disability. And studies show that in communities where, where people with disabilities are, are trying to cope, there's, there's poverty, there's loneliness, and more importantly, a vastly low percentage of people in this community ever encounter Jesus Christ. We need to speak Now, thankfully, in our church, we have an event coming up called the Snowflake Ball. It's only a month away. And we would love to have you come and serve. So we're going to show you a quick video. Take a look, and let's see what God does in your heart. Our own Snowflake Ball. is so good because what the snowflake ball is it celebrates those with disabilities rather than discarding them and if you'd like to be involved if you'd like to serve there's a table set up near the info desk this morning you can sign up and you can learn more about the snowflake ball but i would say this is an area that you can get really on the ground and you can help speak for life as you know many of you know johnny and friends minnesota the the ministry for those with disabilities is kind of anchored here in our church judy and daryl clark attend church here And many of us serve at a thing called Camp Castaway later in the summer. And and there are people that come and they give up a weekend and they just minister to a family that struggles with disabilities. And so that's another area 
in which you can serve. But we have to serve. We have to have a voice. Because again, Jesus cared about these people. In Matthew 15, here's, here's what the Lord's work was about. And great crowds came to him, bringing them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Jesus wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't caught off guard. He healed. And so we speak for the unborn and we speak with those with disabilities. And another category of people I think we overlook many times is the elderly. We must speak for the elderly. There are two areas that I think are really important here. The first is something that is horrific and it's called elder abuse. And it's an epidemic in Minnesota. Last year, there were some 25,000 reported cases of elder abuse. The state was only able to investigate 3% of those reports. And to his credit, Governor Dayton has formed a task force. He called this appalling. It is appalling. We need to step up and have a voice. We need to talk to our leaders. We need to protect our own that are in assisted living facilities from elder abuse. Because God loves these people desperately. And the second area that we really need to be aware of and we need to be stepping into and leaning into is the idea of euthanasia, or you can call it assisted suicide. Which, of course, is the taking of a life by painless means by a doctor with permission of the patient and family. Now, here's a danger. is I know some of us are thinking, well, wait a minute. Isn't that merciful? It's the patient's decision. It's the family's decision. And this is where feelings sometimes can lead us into an abyss. No, we have to back up and we have to go to the Word of God and we have to discover what is the biblical worldview of euthanasia. Because this is a problem. It's legal right now in the Netherlands, in Belgium, in Colombia, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Germany, Japan, Canada, and in the U.S. states of Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Vermont, Montana, Washington, D.C., and California. California is going to secede, so don't worry about them. They're almost out of here. So, this is something we have to pay attention to. So, why, why is euthanasia not okay? Well, first, the Old Testament, the law condemns killing. <laughs> it just simply condemns killing. In Exodus 21 and Leviticus 24, killing a life is worth a life. This is how God sees His own creation of life. Second, we are to submit to God regarding the timing of our life and death. God knows our days. Job knew this. In, in chapter 14, 5, His days are determined and the number of His months is with you. And you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. This is God's thing. And so we need to understand that it's not up to us to decide how long a person lives. And then thirdly, we do not have autonomy over our bodies. Now, This is the crux, isn't it, of the abortion debate. 
Because what you're going to hear is a woman has a right to choose. A woman with her doctor can choose, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. In 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so, as long as we live, we understand that we are submitted to God. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is not for us to destroy. It is for us to worship the one who created it. And then the fourth reason is closely tied to that, and that is that every hour, every day, and every minute of our lives is meant to glorify God. This is the reason that we exist. And yes, suffering comes at the end of life. Yes, there is pain. There are many times is misery. But do we not think that God can use that suffering to glorify himself? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, So whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So in the case of the unborn, we need to be a voice. For the elderly, we need to shout, protect them. And then... There's another group of people that I just call the downtrodden. The downtrodden of society. We need to be a voice for these people. And by downtrodden, I mean the outcast, the ones that no one wants, the ones who have been discarded or forgotten about. And I think of Jesus who, on his way, decided to take a detour on his way north, and he stopped in a place called Samaria, and he found a woman at the heat of the day, could only go to the well at the heat of the day because no one would talk to her. She was an outcast in her village. But Jesus went to her and ministered to her and preached the gospel to her. And many were saved in that village. Jesus spent time with these people. And so who are these people? Let's go through them. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. First, I think we must speak for those who are victimized by sex trafficking. Now, this is a big issue because... The Super Bowl is approaching, and whether the Vikings are in it or not, you're still going to watch it, and it's still coming here to Minneapolis. And with it comes this thing called sex trafficking. Anytime you have, I'm sorry guys, a group of white males with money traveling together for a party, you're going to have a problem with sex trafficking. Now, there have been no direct links exactly equating a Super Bowl with the increase of sex trafficking, but we know it's there. And here's the thing about sex trafficking. It's a $32 billion a year industry in the United States. And here's the troubling, sad, and frightening part. Every year, three to 400,000 children in America are victims of sex trafficking. Three to 400,000 children. How can we not speak into this issue. And if you're thinking to yourself, 
well, thank goodness I live in Minnetonka or Chanhassen or Chaska, and we're immune to this kind of stuff. I mean, we're not in the Phillips neighborhood. I'm just telling you right now that there have been stings right here in Minnetonka. And so we need to speak into this. There are organizations that you can hop on board with and support. And we're looking for the right one for our church to support. And then just let me say this, and forgive me for being frank, but if you, if you watch porn, whether explicit pornography or television shows with pornography, if you go to strip clubs, then you are aiding and abetting sex trafficking. Because the lie, the myth is, is that these are all consenting adults. No. The vast majority are being trafficked. So there's a layer of accountability for you. We must speak into this. And then we must also speak for the homeless. Can you imagine what it would be like to be homeless in Minnesota? 7,000 right now in our state. Imagine what it would be like to wonder, when that storm hits, what am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? And so many times we walk past people on the street and we have this kind of right-wing evangelical thought of that person shouldn't be here, that person should be working for a living. You don't know that. You don't know how that person got there. These are people that need a voice. And then closely related to homelessness is addiction. We need to speak for the addicted. This is really, really important because addiction leads to many of these problems. I want you just to turn back in your Bibles for a moment to the book of Matthew 25, beginning in verse 35. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 35, just a few pages back. And I want to show you how Jesus viewed the downtrodden. Then I'm going to take you back to the passage of the morning that we've begun with, and then I'll, I'll tell you about freedom for addiction. But this is Matthew 25. Let's begin in verse 35. This is Jesus talking. He's talking about the final judgment. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then I go back to that passage we started with this morning at the end of verse 18, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We're speaking here about people who are struggling with addiction, which many times leads to homelessness, which many times leads to sex trafficking. And so we need to have a voice for these people because Jesus cared about being an agent of freedom. Now, thankfully, in our choice, we have Elanon, we have AA, we have a great AA group. People are being mentored like crazy. But we need to become a church that is welcoming and is 
a hospital for people that are hurting and are, are, are being redeemed, not having been redeemed, because we're, none of us have gotten all the way there yet. We forget that sometimes. We're all on a journey. And so we need to welcome people from the addicted community to our church. And then finally, the last type of people I'd like to talk about this morning in this area of the downtrodden are the refugees. This is a very complicated issue, obviously. But we are not, as followers of Jesus, number one, we're not Democrat and Republican. We're followers of Jesus. So what is the biblical stance, a biblical viewpoint of how we see refugees? I found the Southern Baptist Convention this year. We're not a Southern Baptist church, but of course we identify them in our theology they came up with a resolution to help define how a Christian should see, should see refugees. Take a look at that resolution here. That we affirm that refugees are people loved by God, made in His image, and that Christian love should be extended to them as special object of God's mercy in the world that has displaced them from their homelands. That we encourage Southern Baptist churches and families to welcome and adopt refugees into their churches and homes as a means to demonstrate to the nations that our God longs for every tribe, tongue, and nation to be welcomed at his throne. That's really a good resolution. Because we have been commanded by Christ to go to the nations, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria in Acts 1.8. And listen to this stinging Reminder to Israel in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. This foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were refugees in Egypt. People pouring into safe countries because of war and poverty. We have a responsibility to be a voice for those people, for the unborn, for the disabled, the elderly, and the downtrodden. And I I wish if I could just go back and redo this, I would have added prisoners to this. I would have added people groups around the globe that are in poverty that have never been reached. So the question then becomes, what can I do? So let's run through something quickly and give you some practical ideas. The first thing you can do, and probably the most important thing you can do, is develop a biblical worldview and teach it to your children and grandchildren. Do not, and I repeat, do not allow the culture to shape your children's worldview. Because it will lead them into darkness. Worldview must be shaped by the Word of God. And our worldview says that everyone is made in the image of God, that God so loved the world. And our Christian worldview also would say that God said, after he created, go forth and multiply. So consider adoption as a way to bring new Christians into the world. Second, pray like crazy for change. Pray. Now, I know how we do it in the Church of Jesus Christ. We say, do everything else, and then if you can't do anything else, then go ahead and pray. Right, we got a prayer ministry. Go over there. 
No. We start with prayer. Because prayer changes things. Look at what James has promised us. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So pray. Get on your knees. Pray for life. Thirdly, love your opponents. Please. Please. Please love people that don't agree with us. Luke 6.27, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. It's easy to speak with rancor. It's easy to speak with malice. Our culture is full of it. It's back and forth. And, and I'm just going to say this, that if you're, if you're watching and listening to news sources, they're reading Facebook that are, are, are lathering you up into hate and malice, then get off that and get into the Word of God and learn to live in peace, desperately disagreeing, but peace. Closely related to this is don't judge. Do not judge. Here's what I mean by that. You walk past that homeless person and you think, that person should be working. You have no idea what that person's been through. Not a clue. You see a woman that's involved with sex trafficking, you say, you should make better decisions than that. You have no idea what got that woman to that spot. And when it comes to your opponents, you don't know about their life influences. You don't know what kind of house they were raised in. You don't know who mentored them. Don't judge. Or in Matthew 7:11, Jesus said, you will be judged. And then to circle back on an idea that we began with, just forgive yourself if you haven't walked the line in all of these areas. Maybe there's a, a person that, that you were to protect and, and you didn't. Or maybe there was an abortion somewhere. Or, or maybe you've aided sex trafficking by doing porn and that kind of thing. Listen, forgive yourself. Ask for forgiveness. Jesus said we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. And so, as we close this morning, I, I just want to emphasize the fact that life matters to God. And there are things that you can do in our church. There's a snowflake ball. Go sign up. I'm going to have some people stand this morning before we're finished here that are headed to Roble Alto in Costa Rica. If you're going on that trip, will you please stand? I think there's a few of them out in the lobby. No, could you call in? I think Scott's out there. I don't know if he's coming in or not. Maybe he wasn't. Even, he probably wasn't planning on coming in. I'm like, what do you want? I have my grandchild. Um... These people are going to go to Costa Rica and they're going to serve at Robialto. And what they do is we build homes and, and do other projects to help children that have been abused, children that are unsafe in their homes, and they put them in safe situations. This is what it means to be on the ground and to speak and act for life. And so we put out a call to help finish a house at Robialto and... We threw a number out you last year that seemed impossible, and you, you gave $90,000 to this cause. So I know you believe in this cause. And so I want to pray for this group as they get ready to go on their trip. You see some pictures there of that last house they're going to finish. I believe that's what that picture is. 
And these are homes that have like a house mom in them with several children, and they are safe. And so I'm going to pray. Just remain standing if you would. I'll invite the music team up, and we'll just worship God for his gift of life. God, I pray for all these that are headed off to Costa Rica, God. I pray that you would give them safety in their journey. I pray that you would give them joy. I pray that you would help their hands and feet to do what you want them to do. And I pray that they would be knitted closer together. I know this is also a life-changing trip for them. And so, God, will you just protect them, and will you do amazing miracles? Will you bring kids into the kingdom through their work? And, God, as we as a church grapple with life issues, and as we as individuals grapple with life issues, will you please help us to have wisdom and grace and courage and help us to stand on your word, even when it's uncomfortable to come under the authority of it. Because this is your inspired, inerrant word to us. Thank you, God, for life. Let us be one who speaks for those that have no voice. Amen.